Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Get in the Word because it is Sunday morning, so if, if you will open uh, probably to the book of Judges, uh, I want to go to chapter number one, and I'm going to read probably one verse from here, and we're going to kind of make a brushstroke of some stuff that I felt like the Lord began to speak to me. Actually, just I began to develop it after Gavin and I had had lunch together. And uh, man, the Lord began to speak to me concerning some things. And uh, I think that there are some pieces here that might help us a little bit in being able to prepare for work. I think what God is doing in the earth right now. I don't know about you, but I don't think he's finished yet. How many know that what the word of God declares is that uh, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. But as truly as I live, saith God, all the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Touch your neighbor say, God's not finished yet. Tell somebody else, that don't sound like we're going to lose to me. You might ought to touch another neighbor and say, you're not the biggest loser. You're probably the biggest winner. You just don't know it yet. Now, probably the key, I think, to every book of the Bible is almost like uh, your house. You have hidden a key somewhere near your door, probably. Probably most of you have a key hidden in a little metal box under your grill, or it's under your downspout or up on a, uh, a windowsill, or it is under a rock that looks like a rock, but it's not a rock, or... It's on a little nail under your porch. Probably be easy to find your key, right? <laughs> but the books of the Bible are much like that as well. And the book that precedes this is the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua opens by saying, Now Moses, my servant, is dead. Arise now, Joshua, and get ready to take the people into the promised land. How many know that Moses brought us out, but Joshua will bring us in? It's not an accident that the Hebrew name Joshua is Yeshua or the Hebrew name Jesus. So when I see in the book of Joshua, it starts out by saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. And, and that Joshua becomes the leader. What that speaks to me of is moving from the leadership of an old covenant paradigm. Come on, somebody. Into the leadership of a new covenant paradigm. Because how many know Moses brought us out with a rod? But Joshua will bring us in with a mercy seat. Oh, that's good news right there. Hallelujah. And as Pastor Gavin always, there's so much going on in the spirit here this morning with what's already been done that's right on the path of what I, I, I just got confirmation right and left of what I'm supposed to do this morning. But when, when, when God began to speak to Moses, uh, to, or when God began to raise up Joshua to enter into the promised land, how many know there was a whole lot of people that were willing to not go over? Matter of fact, there was two and a half tribes that said, we'll help you get yours, but we've chose to stay on this side. I don't know how I would feel another generation later when my grandchildren asked me, why did you decide to stay here? Why are we not living in the promised land? Say it another way. Why are we not living in the promises? Now, let me tell you that in the New Testament, the promised land is not heaven. Okay, let me try it over here. Hallelujah. The fourth chapter of Hebrews tells us that the promised land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
And how many know when we get in the finished work of Jesus Christ and start to live out of that fullness, there is an outflow of milk and honey. And we start to live in houses we didn't build. We start to eat from vineyards we didn't plant. Come on, somebody. We start to, we start to enjoy the fruit of somebody else's work. How many know we, we receive the work of Jesus and we live in that overflow? But how many know a lot of people decided they didn't want to move? They wanted to live in the tent. Because how many know if you get used to living in a tent for 40 years, you don't know how to live in a house anymore? And when you get used to manna falling in the backyard, you don't know what's going on when the manna stops. And the miracle that was once happening is not happening anymore. Maybe it's because God's wanting to change your diet. Because if the manna stops, that means there must be some promised land fruit that's ready to be taken care of. Maybe that's where God's got us a little bit is in the shift to prepare us to say, you know what? That diet has ceased. Maybe there's something more God wants to do that we can receive from, that we can partake of some fruit of what it means to have the outflow of living in this promised land and being able to partake of what is ours in Christ because of what he's accomplished for us. So the shift of the book of Joshua is about moving from Moses to Yeshua. And powerful stuff could be preached from there. I'm going to move to the next book. And the book of Judges opens, and the key is right there at the beginning. Again, if you'll bring up my first scripture, which is Judges chapter 1, verse number 1. Uh, I think if, if you have that prepared, we can bring that up. Judges chapter 1, verse number 1. And I'm going to read to you from the New King James Version. It says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? So this, the book of Joshua opens by saying, Moses, my servant is dead. And now the book of Joshua is going to open by saying, now after the death of Yeshua. Now you say, well, this is crazy. It's really not. What happens after the death of Jesus? What happens after the death of Jesus is he releases in the new covenant 12 apostles to carry forth the judgment of what he exacted in his finished work. And in the book of Judges, there are 12 judges, a tremendous parallel, because what it's talking about in the book of Judges, and this will be the title of my message this morning, is ordinary people doing extraordinary things, or just tame it, ordinary people. Because this book is full of ordinary people who start to exact a judgment that has been written. Will you bring up for me, I added this last night, I think Babette probably got to see Psalm 149. If you'll bring that up for me a moment, let me just kind of work with this a little bit. Uh, uh, Psalm 149, it's not coming up. Let me, let me pull it up here. Psalm 149, and I'm going to read again from, uh, from uh, the message, or not the message, but I will read from the New King James again. Psalm 149, we'll go into verse number 1. And it says this, Now praise the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Now let me just stop and unpack this. I'm going to teach a little bit, and then you all, I've been around that you know, I'm probably going to preach here a little bit, but i got to get some groundwork laid. He said, sing unto the Lord 
a new song. Now, to me, the new song is not the latest hit. Matter of fact, even when Jeremiah started prophesying, Behold, I do a new thing, he wasn't talking about the newest fad to hit the church. He was talking about the new thing that he would do, which was the new covenant. And how many know in the new covenant, he does make all things new. His mercies are new every morning. There's a new Jerusalem. Come on, there's a new praise. There's a new, come on somebody, there's mercies that are new every morning. There's a new creature. So he said, sing unto the Lord a new song. I believe in the last 20 years, the shift of the church has been to move towards, I believe, a clearer and clearer understanding of the new covenant. How many know that the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one? As a matter of fact, when he comes into this next part of it, he says, let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Zion also is an uh, iconic word to me that speaks of the new covenant because Hebrews, the 12th chapter, says, for you did not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to fear and trembling. You did not come to a God who says stay away, that if you touch the edge of the mountain, you will be thrust through with the dark. You did not come to that mountain where Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. You did not come to that mountain. That mountain, how many of you know, was Mount Sinai where the law was given. Touch your neighbor say, that's not where we're going. But then he says this, but you are come. He didn't say you were marching there. He didn't say some glad morning after you pass away you can go to Zion. He said, for you are come to Mount Zion. Because Mount Zion in contrast in Hebrews the 12th chapter is the opposite of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the old covenant. Mount Zion is the new covenant. So if we're singing a new song, we're singing from a new dimension, hallelujah, of not what we're coming to, but what we've already got. I believe there needs to be a, a real update in some of our music. And, it, and I thank God that it is coming. But the, the reality of it is what I'm saying is that, that he said, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. In other words, when you start, something happens when you start to realize what covenant you're under and that this covenant is really more predicated or based on what he, how many of the old covenant is, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. God said, here's the new covenant that I'll make. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. How many of we just need to get in the I will? Hallelujah. I'm going to write my name. I'm going to, hallelujah. Your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. The old covenant was about a law you had to keep. And the new covenant is about receiving a life that will keep you. In the old covenant, we lived out of rules to what we thought was an austere God who was a slave driver. But in the new covenant, we discover him as Abba. He is Father God. I just preached Father's Day at my home church. And the honor that we ought to realize is that it's an incredible shift in the new covenant when Jesus came to introduce him, not as just Jehovah, but he's Abba. Come on, somebody. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. When I think about Abba, I had the privilege of having a really good dad. 
Many of you may not have. So I have got a pretty good perspective of what it means to have a good father. And can I tell you that it was my father's pleasure to see his children blessed. It was his pleasure to see them healed. We were talking in the office about the power of God and the, and the, the need to return to the power of God. And I, I was telling Gavin, I said, I knew that when my dad would get home from work at midnight, he worked a second shift. But my dad was a man of faith. I mean, this guy had a lot of faith. But I knew when he came home from work, even if I was feeling bad, I was probably going to get healed. So I knew that as soon as dad got, I mean, dad wanted to give us something. We need to start thinking like that is that God is not making us jump through a bunch of hoops. He's Abba. He want, come on, somebody. But I don't think we realize the power of praise and worship in the midst of that. I don't know how far I'm going to get this morning. Hallelujah. But I don't think we realize the power of it. I don't know about you all. I'm old enough now. I've got some grandbabies. I got three little girls. We had two boys, and we've got one that's 13, one that's about seven or eight, and we got one that's four. And if these, these gals ever figured out the power of hugs and kisses to Pappy, they own Pappy. And when they come to Pappy's house, what happens at Pappy's house stays at Pappy's house. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But what I'm saying is, you know, sometimes we think about, you know, they'll ask dad for, they'll ask, uh, you know, sometimes their mom and dad will say, ask Pap. <laughs> you need to mention that to Pap when you're around Pap. The youngest one, she wanted a little, one of those little battery-powered cars. I bought every one of them one of those little battery-powered cars for Christmas when they got old enough to drive them. And the little one come, come to me, she said, Pappy, I want a mini car. I want a pink mini cataract. A cataract escarade. It took me a long time to find this cataract escarade because it was out of stock. But I promise you, I went above and beyond to find, I searched the internet high and low till I found a cataract escarade. And I ordered some special mini stickers just to be sure it had enough mini on it. Are y'all hearing what I'm talking about? Now, how many know it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom? And sometimes when we praise and worship and we just start to care about him a little bit, it is his good pleasure to bless us and to give us the kingdom. And I think that ought to take us to another level of faith is when we realize this is Abba I'm talking to. He's not trying to trick me. He's not trying to withhold anything from me. As a matter of fact, he's probably more anxious to talk to me than I am to him. Hallelujah. Because we've been taught that he's this vicious, austere old man that you need to fear and stay away from. But when you really get to know him, he's nothing like what they told you he was. He's a good, good father. Hallelujah. Now, I'm, I'm going to get too bogged down here, but let me go on a little bit. Let, let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds from the posture of rest. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hands. How many know the two-edged sword, excuse me, is in Hebrews chapter 4? For the word of God is quick and is powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword. The context again of Hebrews chapter 4 is not just any word that's life-giving and powerful. It is the word that flows from rest that is life-giving and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder between soul and spirit as a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. And he goes on to say, uh, a two-edged sword in their hand, watch this, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. 
to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. Look at these last few words. This honor have all the -the glow-in-the-dark preachers. This honor have all of his saints. Now, now before you get your mind bogged down on, we're going to step back and we're going to call down fire from heaven and we're going to destroy Washington, D.C. or whatever city we're mad at. Matter of fact, Jesus rebuked the disciples for saying, you want us to call down fire like Elijah did. And Jesus rebuked Peter and some of the apostles said, you don't know what spirit you're of. He wasn't rebuking them for having a demonic spirit. He was rebuking them for operating under an old covenant spirit. Hallelujah, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. So when I think about executing judgments on kings and I think about executing judgment, I'm not thinking about people. I'm thinking about things that try to rule over our lives that are opposite to the purposes of God in our lives. That's the kind of judgment I'm talking about, executing things to bind their nobles, to bind. Come on, sometimes principalities and powers are not, hallelujah, not always demonic spirits, but their mindsets and ideas and concepts and stuff we've given power to that are governing, ruling thoughts in our minds. And how many know we need to pull down some strongholds and some images that are in our minds that are keeping us from seeing a demonstration of the power of God and of entering into true relationship with Him? So when I first preached this a number of years ago, I was preaching this text, and, and my attorney came to me after, because I was kind of preaching in the way, this honor, have all of his saints, we're going to execute judgment, like, you know, we're going to call down fire from heaven, we're going to, you know, of course, it, it, probably if we had the power to do everything we thought we had, there wouldn't be many cities left in America because some preacher somewhere has been mad at somebody. Hello. But when I think about this, my attorney said to me, he said, Lynn, judgment is not always bad. I said, what do you mean? He said, if we are ever in court and you are the plaintiff and the judge looks down after the court is, after the, the case has finished and he says, the judgment is in favor of the plaintiff. That's a good thing. Now, how many know when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. But how many know he also, in the context of that, was speaking about judgment. Now is the prince of this world. Now is the uh, prince of this world judging if I be lifted up. He was talking about drawing all judgment into himself. In other words, everything that had to do with judgment was now brought into the hands of the one who could execute the judgment with righteousness. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? So when I say that we execute the judgment, when I, what my attorney said to me, he said, Lynn, do you know what it means when it says, the judge says, the judgment was in favor of the plaintiff. Let me be real practical this morning. Touch your neighbor, tell him the judgment was in your favor. Say it another way. The judgment of Calvary's cross was not against you. It was for you. You have been judged, accepted in the beloved. Because as believers, and I think there's a distinction, hallelujah, your judgment is not in your future. Your judgment is in your past, and you have received. Come on, somebody. But the judgment is that that God has made a decision that is in the favor of his son and the favor of those that are in Christ 
And so I said to my attorney, that is some good news. He said, do you know what that means? I said, no, sir, not really, not the fullness of it. He said, it means absolutely nothing if you don't execute the judgment written. In other words, if you don't cash the check, you could have all of this. And here, here's the thing that Gavin and I were talking in the office a little bit. See, most of us have a relationship with a book. And I love and believe in the Bible, and I absolutely am a absolute, you know, uh, defender of the Word of God. But how many know we cannot substitute a relationship with our knowledge or a relationship with a book for the relationship with Abba, who really wants to spend time with us, and it's not that difficult. Come on, somebody, because it's really more easily entreated than you think it is. Sometimes I think we think, well, how do, how do I know when God's talking to me? Well, he sounds a lot like me. Oh, y'all that have heard God talking, what I'm talking about, he sounds like me. Of course, he tells me stuff I wouldn't have told myself. Like add a zero to that check. Or go forgive that person you don't care much about. Oh, y'all, y'all don't want to help me. Come on, somebody. I, matter of fact, I could be, my dad used to say to me, he said, you're the only one I know of could be prophesying and telling a joke at the same time because I have this sense of humor that's always funny. But I mean, my dad said, I, I don't know how you move in and out of the spirit. I said, I'm not moving in and out of it. I'd be riding down the road years ago when A.J. used to come with me. Some of you may remember A.J. that used to come. He was just, you know, if you met him and had a few minutes to spend with him, you knew this guy is, uh, you know, he's the court jester. You're going to laugh your way around the world with this guy. But him and I'd be riding down the road, and God would start to speak to me, and he'd look at me. He could see a fa- look come over my face. He'd say, you're going to talk to him, you're going to talk to me. <laughs> and I'd whip out a McDonald's napkin and start writing uh, notes down. I'd say, I'm talking to him right now. So just, But how I many of God can get your attention to begin to draw your focus? So what I'm trying to get you to see is that God uses ordinary people in ordinary circumstances that are even busy sometimes to give them extraordinary assignments and extraordinary manifestation. It's just being aware of his spirit where and when and how. And I think sometimes we're waiting on the church service for God to do something. Come on, somebody. I was in a restaurant back about a month ago, and I was just talking to somebody, and somebody overheard me talking, and the cook came out of the kitchen. She said, I was just diagnosed with cancer. Could I get prayer? I said, absolutely. We stopped right there in the middle of the restaurant. Everybody in the restaurant stopped and had prayer to believe God for a miracle. I think sometimes we're waiting. My, if you ask my daddy in Walmart to pray for you, you're going to get a cleanup at aisle three because he'd get one of the Pentecostal jerks on him right there. You know what I mean? I said, well, I'll never do that. God probably took that as a personal challenge right there. Hallelujah. But what I'm simply saying, sometimes it doesn't have to be spooky. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to, you know, disrupt everybody in the restaurant. Sometimes maybe God wants to show off at a restaurant. Because after all, he wants people to see that he uses ordinary people that can do extraordinary things. So when I'm talking about doing, uh, executing the judgment, that's what brings me back to the book of Judges. Because these 12 judges, all of them did something in the visible realm that was a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. And I, I won't be able to go through all of them, but I am going to hit a few highlights this morning. But I just want to show you some things about its ordinary people. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, sometimes the most unsuspecting. As a matter of fact, let me just tell this story before I 
move on. There's, you know, what probably one of the purest prophetic gifts I've ever seen in my life was an unfiltered, pure gifts of prophetic ministry I've ever seen was in a mentally challenged boy in our youth camp named Dave. And Dave would worship until his clothes were soaking wet with sweat. We're getting ready to start youth camp tonight in, in West Virginia. But Dave used to come. Dave is, is a, a, a too old to come to camp now. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, Dave's married. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And uh, powerful guy. But, but uh, it, we, we started youth camp. Nothing seems to be happening. There's no breakthrough. Seem to, the spirit of God doesn't seem to be. And so Dave walks up on the platform to take the microphone. Now, some of them were going to stop Dave from taking the microphone. I said, just leave him alone. Let, let Dave have the microphone. Because we're scared what might happen in the subjective realm if we really give liberty for God to move. Now, you're going to get some crazy folk, and sometimes you've got to get control of that. I get that. But Dave took that microphone, and he started to prophesy and minister. And when he did, man, I'm telling you, the altars filled up. i never seen anything like this. This kid could hit it like I'd never seen a prophet hit it before. And just unfiltered, be able to just spot on, boom, 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 just one after the other. God began to use this young man in a powerful way. Another young man that, uh, that uh, he probably will watch this video. I'll, probably, I'll try not to say his name because he watches me. He, he doesn't mind if I share this story, though. But this guy watched me on TV for a lot, and he uh, a lot of times, and so finally he got to meet me in South Carolina, and so he was like totally starstruck. Now I don't think of myself at all like that. I don't really understand what the whole deal is of you know how people get starstruck. But this guy was like he's probably on the spectrum of autism somewhere, uh, probably not real bad, but kind of you know if you know him you'll find you could see that he kind of doesn't have any filters either. So, so this guy, he, he, gets, you know, he, he gets me to sign a book for him. And so I signed a book for him. And then he just like, he followed me around the rest of the day. And I, listen, I don't think I'm anything special. So I, sometimes the most important person that's in the room is not the guy you think that's the most important person in the room. So treat everybody like they're the most important person in the room. Because usually the guy you think is not, that's the guy that is. And so anyway, this guy, uh, uh, the, the following year, the pastor said, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to invite him to come to be in this conference because I know he, he loves you. And he said, I'm going I'm to go ahead and pay for his hotel room and just have him invite him to come. So he invited him to come, and then he said to me, would you like to go with me to pick him up? I said, sure. Can I tell you, when I pulled up to pick him up, he was like, oh, my Lord. Dr. House is picking me up for the conference. So we get back to the hotel. I said, John, I said, I said his name, hallelujah. Sorry, John. Hallelujah. I said, John, would you like to ride with me to church? He said, ride in your car, Dr. House? I said, absolutely. You might as well ride with me back and forth, you know, because we're staying at the same hotel. So we're riding back and forth, and we're, you know, talking a little bit. And on the way home from uh, church one night, I get a call that my sister was in the hospital with COVID, and they put her in the hospital, and she wasn't doing well. I looked over at this kid. I said, listen, John, I said, I want you to pray with me about my sister. I said, my sister is in the hospital with COVID. When I said that, John reached over and grabbed me by the hand, started praying in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost fell in that car, man. I said, I have underestimated this kid. I had him work the prayer line with me that night. <laughs> My sister got out of the hospital the next day. 
ordinary people. Y'all tracking with me? Uh, See, sometimes we think because we are an ordinary situation. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.